1: Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We have a fantastic episode for all of you listeners today recapping the ICA Women's All-American Championships with the newest member of our Crack Rackets team. He's a man whose name you may be familiar with if you follow our college tennis coverage closely as his questions appear in each and every college tennis mailbag episode that we do, of course. He's a known character in the college tennis Twitter universe, I would argue a top five fan across the country. And I would also say his no-ad, no-problem blog was a must-read for college tennis fans throughout the summer. I enjoyed that content so much. I reached out to him. I said, hey— we need you here at Cracked Rackets. I think you're the missing piece that can bring our coverage to the next level here this season. That is why we are so excited to announce that John Parson J Tweets Tennis will be joining us moving forward to help us cover the 2021-2022 college tennis season. He joins me on today's show, as I mentioned, to help recap the 2021 ITA Women's All-American Championships. We discuss South Carolina freshman Sarah Hamner's sensational run from qualified. Qualifying to the singles title. We name our other standout performers both individually and from a team perspective. From throughout the event, we offer our thoughts on the most impactful transfers of the offseason and so much more. It is a fantastic conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, I found out some fun information about John myself throughout this podcast. I did not know. He was a University of Virginia graduate. Listeners of this show will know that is a school that is near and dear to my heart as it is probably what inspired me to be the college tennis fan I am today. So, of course, we had to start out as we do any icebreaker for a new member of our Crack Rackets team. I had to ask him who the best Virginia men's tennis team is of all time. After that, we get into the All-American Championships, talk about the most impactful women's transfers of the offseason. Again, a fantastic episode. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy it. So with that in mind, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with newest Crack Rackets contributor, John Parsons
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
1: Joining us on the podcast today is a first-time guest, but I'm going to say a top two listener of all time. I'm going to put him in that number two slot right behind my mother. I hope he can understand that decision, of course. Many of you have heard his thoughts before as whenever – we do a college tennis mailbag podcast you are certain to get at least 5 to 10 questions from this man of course he recently founded his no ad no problem blog which is a must read for college tennis fans across the country a known curmudgeon to the ITA authorities and a man we figured but you know belongs deserves to be is I don't like the connotation of that belongs Amongst our Crack Rackets family, we are so proud to introduce the newest member of our CR squad, a soon to be frequent contributor to these Crack Rackets podcasts. It's my friend John Parsons. John, hey, great shot. Welcome to the show. I feel like that people know it's not Jay, it's John. Don't worry, I'm going to stick with Jay, but <laughs> you know the the veneer has been cracked. People know now. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you.
0: It is great to be here long-time listener, first-time caller, looking forward to
1: this. (laughs) I'm trying to think of debut podcast guests I've been this excited for over the course of time. I go back, I think I've shared this story on the podcast before, the first episode I ever did with Chris, and this was before we upgraded our software and just everything's become a little cleaner since, but I recorded it on a cell phone in my car in the parking lot of where I used to work, you know, just with him late at night, and and That was really exciting, just given the circumstances. Given that him and I had exchanged some messages, getting to meet him and Matt and doing that in person pod, that one was phenomenal. But this in is the on corner the corner sh- at Wake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but this is on the short list, like f- Ben, f- all the rest of them. I'm really excited for this, John. It's great to have you.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here. Like I said, um, but I do know all your tricks. Um, so the <laughs> buttering up um, only goes so far. Um, but I do appreciate that. I couldn't be more excited to be here, chat some college tennis with you, um, and and get started.
1: So for those who don't know, and honestly, some of this is going to be a learning experience for me along the way as well. Tell us about where your interest in college tennis started your tennis roots, because I always find an origin story fascinating, particularly given the niche superior, you know, supreme tennis hipster culture that is the college tennis fan base.
0: So, my origin story is not dissimilar to yours. Um, you know, someone with uh, college tennis aspirations who maybe didn't quite get there. Uh, so us two stars need to stick together. Um, but I would say there's two two main things. So I grew up in the Bay Area, um, about ten minute drive from the Stanford campus, so grew up really going to all sporting events uh, at Stanford. We could, you know, And I was playing tennis competitively, so we would go to tennis matches as well. And that was in the kind of the, the heyday of um, Stanford dominance, of which has continued on the women's side. Um, but certainly like the early 2000 years, I remember pretty well. Um, but my dad and I also used to go to the College World Series every year as well. It was like our annual father-son trip. <laughs> um, so I grew up playing tennis, watching college tennis um but I would say my love for the event uh because I was just going to dual matches at Stanford and they were fun but most of the time they were cakewalks um was I I played briefly for some d3 tennis uh and got injured and it was the I had nothing to do I was in school anymore and so my dad and I were like well what should be our father-son trip and it was 2010 and the NCAAs were in Athens that year. And this was still, I was only a year or two removed from, from school, so I still had friends who were, um, who were competing, friends adjacent, we'll say. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, let's go, let's go to that. Um, and so that 2010 tournament was, I think, what really uh, solidified my love for college tennis and kind of the NCAA format um, I had been following tennis junior tennis you know many a nights on colette's blog but yeah. that 2010 is what solidified the um the love for the the team format um and college tennis and yeah. yeah and now i'm on a podcast with you you know 11 years later
1: yeah it's a fantastic story and yes i know you study in the church of colette lewis as well i know anything bobby knight wrote back in the day i'm sure you have somewhere in your memory bank i i He wrote about the best teams not to win an NCAA championship. I... The amount of times I have messaged Bobby, and it's on me, and I think you've learned this very early on here, scheduling is not my forte. We've tried to have him on the podcast. It's just from an hour standpoint, it's always tricky. We're going to get him on this season. That's my promise to all of you listeners. That might be – I mean we're going to spend 15 minutes on that article series. And he wrote about who the best Virginia team not to win a title was. And if you tell me you were at the 2011 NCAA final between USC and Virginia – I will be extraordinarily jealous. Like if that is your father's son trip, my dad. I mean, look, I love my father quite a bit. He is well aware of that fact. We would go to Cedar Point and like the pride, which is an amusement park in Ohio, uh, ironically Sandusky, Ohio. They have not changed the name, but there's this ride called the Gemini. It's like your basic wooden roller coaster, and that was like the outer bounds of what he could handle from a G-force perspective. Which understandably so, but he'd be so proud to ride the Gemini and. Oh, do I rather really? when he rides on roller coasters, it's the it's the best thing in the world because he like does this pitch, like you know how most people like scream like ah when they're yeah. going down. He literally it's harmonized. It's the most beautiful thing. He goes ah like it's just it's just incredible. Vocal talent. Yeah, but anyways, yeah, that's where I get it from. Um but if I ugh, what a great father son trip is what I'm trying well, to say.
0: Yeah, so we've gone every year since. Um, so you
1: went, you were there when Daniel Wynn, Diving Volley, and all of the madness that ensued.
0: I was there 2010, all the way through this past year, 2021. Um, although I will say 2013 sticks out to me more than than that 2011 match. With Which, the of course, t-
1: Illinois, Virginia, net Touch, Mitchell Frank. Exactly, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Not to steal your thunder, but for correct. our listeners.
0: Um, and as I, I should share, I did graduate from UVA. Um, okay. so that I love was it. Um, so, the, you know, 2010, we continued the years during their dominance. Um, so, yeah, I was actually, I was thinking, um, as part of this, I can recall many a fond memories of, of what years stand out.
1: This but. was unplanned. We're doing it right away best Virginia team go unprepared you know this is a staple I butter you up so I can throw the unprepared serious question at you at the start <laughs> you are a graduate of UVA those team, I mean you saw from the start of the Somdev era it's the Boland era but we call yep. it the Somdev era on now um, you've seen all the teams The to me if Drew Courtney is healthy 2011's the best team it's top to bottom what do you say well, so I, I agree with that. Those cold
0: nights at Stanford, uh, have, seeing Drew Courtney get pulled out, that was um, that was very difficult.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> I know. It's tough. So I'll talk through it while you're considering to think. Obviously, yeah. there are the four national championships teams. 2013 yeah. and to go Jameer, Damjan, Frank, one through three. I mean, that's tasty. But as good as Julian was at six, you never knew. Mac, Justin, Ryan, that's a lot of talent. You're never quite sure what you're going to get. Very good doubles point. But still, mm. you know, they kind of got hot at the right moment and escaped, obviously, that UCLA match. 2015— I mean, that team is ridiculously talented for you know, it's Ryan playing untouchable ball at one, Mitchell two, and then the depth of that team is, you know, what really starts to play. It's crazy that, you know, Ty or sorry, Collins at three, Ty's at four, Jace uh what no, JC's at six or Richard's at five. That doubles point, a little, although Luka and Ryan, very good by the end. But, you know, that doubles point probably not as good as the 16, 17 doubles points in clutch time. I mean, 16 team is very good. Very, very good. Um, that team, it's tough. It is tough. Um, 17 was just winning for sure. Like, in terms of a pedigree standpoint, you kind of like them in a dual match format because of the toughness so I was, I
0: was actually going to throw the curve ball of the 17 team um, mm-hmm. with the reason being, I think it's tough. I mean, it's always tough to compare teams that did not win a national championship in their year. Mm-hmm. Um, 17, I think with the depth that team had, I don't think any, any team was able to beat them. Right. And we know that depth wins championships. Um, and I would feel better about their five and six with, we're Aragoni than some of the other, some of the other teams that you mentioned uh, yeah that could be re- it. it could be recency bias. No, I mean um,
1: Colin and JC were three doubles. JC's a senior oh, you're right 17 to me, 17, 11 and 09 those are the three teams it comes down to because I think 17's the best of the three p teams they just they won when they had to win, plain and simple.
0: yep it feels blasphemous to include a, a oh team. and
1: 13 and 13 by the way, 13 is the short list of four.
0: 13 comes to mind. I was going to say to not include a team with Jarmir and Damajan and Frank yeah. it is tough. Um, yeah. But, you know, being so, incredibly talented. Teams.
1: So I'm going to do one more. So, 09, why you like them? Sam Devon trade at one doubles. Ugh. And then Dom Inglot at two. I mean, throw them with anyone, but that 09 team has a young Sonam, a young Shabazz. Ugh. I mean, they didn't win an NCAA championship. You're right. They lost to an experienced Georgia team. But yeah. Or, no, or, yeah, because 10 is when they lose to SC. But I, I that team's so good. I still—11's the team that made me fall in love with college tennis. And you were there for the Stanford match when they come back and win it 4-3 at Stanford. And after they won that match, I was just like, this team is winning it all. And, again, Drew didn't have a leg at the NCAA tournament. Right. And so you have to factor that in. If he's at, you know, playing at 5, Julian's at 6, it's a I mean, team. it's a different team.
0: Yeah, yeah. I will say, as someone who has attended many a Stanford sporting events in all my years, that is the rowdiest Stanford crowd. Oh I my have God. Ever seen? The stories football, are legendary. Basketball. I mean, I was on the other side uh, of the courts there. They were, you know, they were on the other side from the stadium as me, so I wasn't able to hear all of the uh, uh, the exact phrases, but you got the gist. Uh, <laughs> just
1: wild, Stanford. Mm-hmm. So, give me your team. I'm not going to let you cop out. I'm, gonna I'm going. Go... I'm going 11 with a healthy Drew. 11 everywhere through May. In the last week, the last day. I mean, talk about an ultimate cop out.
0: <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going 11, uh, but throw in an additional guy. Um, no, I'm going to go 17. I'm going to. F- I think that's going to appreciate in time um, in ways that we look back on a team like 11 um, more fondly than maybe we do just a few years back.
1: I'm just. I mean, Shabazz as a senior, Sonom at three. <laughs> I mean, that, I, I mean I, 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 it's a fun debate. Again, this is your warm-up, by the way. First segment. We're well, getting, we're throwing you to the wolves.
0: I mean, when I think Stanford and UVA, I think Shabazz, Johnson, and Stiflase. Yeah. I mean, oh, that whole tournament was just not... Not a good
1: one for it. For it's it'll never you know. It's one of the like most. It's never been spoken about here on this podcast. The fact that Michael Shabazz retired in that semifinal. You're right. That's it, and especially. Just given where Stevie was, how many matches he had played and you know, Ryan Williams on the horizon, he goes on to you know complete the win streak. That's like one of those points. It wasn't even covered in the nine minute doc. I was like, <laughs> How are you not gonna cover the Shabazz match? And what is, by the way, an exceptional doc and It's funny, this is a random note, but 2010, that NCAA tournament, and that whole year, but that tournament felt like in particular was the tournament where Stevie was kind of like, no, 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 I'm the guy now. Like, this is, it's my time. Did you feel that on the ground?
0: hundred percent was going to say that, and you felt it, I would say, from the get-go in doubles. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you just were watching that, and you went, you know, okay, this is uh, someone who's just going to carry this team. But 2010, they still had... um, Uh, Farah yeah Farah and so he was at two that year Um, but you just felt like it was coming Um, yeah
1: and everyone I've done these interviews we have I don't want to spoil but everyone says Yak Poldma just sneaky talented yeah yeah and so uh, yeah yeah all of these teams again welcome this I, you're gonna fit in well here uh but all Thanks of that i'm said, excited to talk about the women i was gonna say all of that <laughs> said that is not why you, we brought you on the show today we have you here to help me recap the it all american women's event of course that event held on clay courts this year and you know held behind closed doors as we did not have access to a stream throughout the course of the match now if, you know We had that discussion on the podcast already. I don't want to pile on and double down on all of the takes. Of course, I do want to offer you an opportunity uh, to offer your thoughts because, look, it's 2021. And there were some really freaking good tennis, and I, I you know, I, I tweeted out the list today, four women currently top 100 with college ties. Collins, uh, you've got Sharif, you've got Astra Sharma, who I'm not going to forget this time, of course. You also have Jennifer Brady uh, as your four top 100 women. I think you've got seven in the top 30 of doubles right now with college ties as well on the women's side for the men. You've got 11 uh, former men's uh, players currently in the top 100 in singles, point being it's a good time to be a college tennis fan. There's a lot of talent filtering through the ranks, and yet we didn't get to see so much of that top talent on display. Obviously, that's a disappointment. Obviously, it makes recapping an event like this that much tougher for us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I thought you guys did a good job covering it on the men. Um, I mean, the, the big difference is we didn't have streaming the entire tournament, right? This wasn't a day of um, issue uh, that we had. Um, you know, it was a historic tournament with archaic coverage, um, to be blunt there. Uh, and so I thought that was really disappointing. And I think specifically what, what, what frustrated me about this was, you know, um, the, the Charleston location was revealed in June. They had their press announcement in July. You know, they have nine clay courts, uh, at this specific facility, uh, and, you know, you could make it. An interesting idea of like we're going to play on clay and we're going to make Charleston this home and a lot of their quotes in that press release did exactly that right around this is kind of a pathway to professional women's clay court events. Um, But not only what did it feel it felt like the undercard right of the Tulsa event and for someone who's followed college tennis for so long. I think one of the things that college tennis does well relative to other sports is parity between men and women's, right? I think having the dual uh, host site in NCAAs is is a a way a lot of sports are moving. Um, So it was really disappointing to feel like um, the women weren't getting the coverage that they deserve and also have had in the past years. Um, So overall, really disappointing. I think a few things to call out specifically were... You know moving to clay and then the you know the reduction in draw sizes, right? Well, look
1: at- before we get to the draw sizes, I want to start okay. on your point because I, I do there are a lot of things you said there. I would echo that sentiment in particular, and it's worth celebrating the wins. The 2019 final between Graham and Leahy that's college tennis at its finest. Could not have a better showcase of what the best in college tennis looks like, and to go from that. To no coverage is just a tremendous disappointment, particularly when you have a story in Sarah Hamner in South Carolina, first South Carolina champion in South Carolina. Now, you know, I don't know if there was a big crowd or not because I wasn't able to see it. But like, talk about the opportunity to showcase a rising star in her home state. It it just, again, I don't want to pile on. It's definitely a miss. Moving on to your next, uh, sorry, please. Well, I was just going to say a huge miss. You mentioned the South
0: Carolina connection, program first, right? Not only yes. an opportunity, and you saw this in Tulsa um, with you know San Diego, folks at San Diego going, well, well where can we watch this event, right? Yeah. We have we have a guy in the final. Um, and so to not be able to showcase that in South Carolina for a program first like that um, is and extremely just disappointing.
1: For Alexa Noel, Iowa, they just lost their men's program. How much would it have freaking meant to get that on ESPN? And again, I'm sorry to talk in hypotheticals, especially because I know the work the ITA is doing to try and ensure the product is seen more broadly. And obviously we here at Crack Rackets are doing our best to help in those efforts. And so I don't like to pile on. But we talk about college tennis here. I wanted to see Noel. I wanted to see Aaron Cayetano who came through qualifying and just what a tremendous story for a USC team that – You hear things about this situation over for the Trojans, and it's a program that should be one of the best. They have a ton of pro talent out there right now having success on the pro circuit, or former players, excuse me, having success on the pro circuit. It's just, you know, it's disappointing, obviously, to not get to see that. Yeah. And,
0: and I, I tweeted this, right? Like, we should be having conversations around, like, what streaming platform should this be on? How do we resolve yes. some of the issues with um with, with the networks and the colleges I know that you guys have tried to tackle? Um, those are the conversations we should be having, not whether or not we can even have a stream. And to, to, to double down on this, <laughs> not pile on, just double down. Um, sure. The, the ITA signed an Alliance with track tennis in June track tennis, uh, d- does similar stuff to play I've been a big fan, really impressed with their stream quality. It's really difficult to believe that you couldn't go to track tennis. And again, I, I don't know any inside information but that you couldn't go to them a month after signing this Alliance and saying, Hey, we have a phenomenal opportunity for you to showcase your product you will be the live streaming partner of ita all americans by the way you're going to look fantastic compared to some of the quality on other streams um notably tulsa um and we're going to give you a booth right so like all these coaches will give you a booth you can chat with the coaches and you'll provide you know live streams and recordings of these matches um to to coaches as well Uh very difficult to to find a reason why that couldn't be possible
1: or And I'm not trying to say this as a self-promoter. I'm saying this, I swear to God, as an option, give Daniel Westoff one month. He can do anything. Through Westoff through Christ. Those are the two things that can get it done. He can get it done. I've seen him do it. And it's 2021. To put a camera on a court is not difficult. That's just the fact of the matter. And, you know, that said, I think it would have been super cool to see a clay court college tennis event and that's where i want to go next the zig is no one saw this coming and so, obviously, it's a little—you know—how much how much worth can you put into a clay court event when the duration and the entirety of the season is played on hard courts? And you know, some of the funkiness we saw is that a byproduct of the clay court tennis—is that a by, you know—were these players training on clay? Most likely not. In the lead-up, all of that said, you know, the the various ITA summer events are predominantly, if not entirely, played on hard court events. But I don't really care about that. I think the zag is the move here. I'm in on clay court college tennis. It's a fall event. The point of the fall, yes, is to showcase some of the best individual talent, but it's also to remind everyone the fun in college tennis. And I think offering a clay court event, I see no harm in that. If college tennis is going to be a viable pathway to the pros, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, why not offer a clay court event for these players early in the season? I see no problem with it. I kind of like it. What do you think, Jay?
0: i i agree with you i can see a way for this to be totally viable and really fun Mm -hmm. um particularly i was intrigued when it was in charleston right we see how many events uh charleston puts on particularly during covid uh in the past 18 months right i mean these events are are popping out of nowhere it seems um so it, it feels really interesting and it feels like something that could could differentiate um you know this event um but the way in which it was executed made it feel like it was the undercard and kind of a, um, you know, not a fluke, but like it was a secondhand thought. And that, that consideration wasn't there.
1: Play that out for me. Why, why do you say that? I, I agree. The lack of broadcasting, obviously, is number one. But other than that, I have no—again, and for the record, and they know this, Tim, Dave, Bruce, everyone, Dan, all the powers that be— Spot is always open for you on the podcast to come explain any decision that is made. But the idea that it felt rushed—I don't think we celebrated it enough. I agree with you. I, I and maybe it's just hard because it's always a busy time of year, right? There, you know, summer hard court stretch, U.S. Open to get people hyped for the ITA All American is always going to be a difficult thing to break through the tennis Twitter bubble when so much is happening across the tennis world. That said, a clay—you know—again, the decision was made in June. Play co- there could have been, and could have what it should have. Very difficult to execute. But some sort of clay court path in the ITA summer circuit. Could you find enough gr- uh, green clay facilities in various locations to set up qualifying for this event, knowing that it was going to be on clay courts? And just again, further incorporating the idea of college tennis as a pathway to the pros. We even have a clay court, you know, exp- exhibition for all of these college players in the summer leading up to the championship in the fall. I agree with you that they could be flushed this out more. I don't agree that it felt like the undercard, other than the fact that it wasn't broadcasted. But other than that, other than that, like I don't think it be. I guess I'd just flush that out for me.
0: Um, I think a big thing for me was the the lack of draw sizes um that felt like um a a difficult blow and was a byproduct of their their site selection right they only have nine courts there compared to the 12. Mm -hmm. uh and it was a drastic reduction in draw sizes there was no pre-qualifying the men had 256 pre-qualifying draw and 128 size qualifying draw and a 64 size main draw on the women's side you just had qualifying of 64 and main draw of 32. Um, so I totally agree with you. Clay could be really interesting. Um, we could do a lot of fun stuff with it, particularly Charleston. I, I think there's a lot to be done there. Um, I didn't love the reduction in draw sizes. I had a few people ask like, okay. well, why does that matter? Um, it matters for a few reasons, but first, like the point of the fall is to get matches and the point yes. of these national tournaments and why they are kind of the creme de la creme is because you get to play people all throughout the all throughout the nation, right? You see a lot of regional events in the fall. This is an opportunity to secure national, national wins. And just to kind of give a comparison, you look at Northwestern and Ohio state women's teams this past season who made it to national indoors and you saw the benefit that had on their ranking and the benefit it had on the overall big 10. Obviously there were implications there because they couldn't play a non big 10 schedule, but if you're able to get four wins across the country you know those appreciate those stay on your ranking throughout the year so um the lack of draw sizes i felt um is another reason why it felt like the undercard um and and hasn't been as big of a delta between the men and the women in the past
1: that's a very fair point i have no disagreement with anything you said particularly The falls for playing matches, and so many of these coaches talk about how the hidden duels have helped. Well, the ITA All-Americans, the pre-qualifying, then the qualifying, just the opportunity particularly for perhaps non-Power 5 conference schools to just get their players' looks at Power 5 matches and ranked matches and to take away those opportunities without a – just again – and perhaps there are discussions behind the scenes. Again, Tim, you're always welcome on the show, but – why it just felt like that reasoning wasn't well explained. I do, I do agree with that.
0: Yep. That was going to be my other point, right? Like, Clay, lack of draw sizes, no streaming. Um, there was no explanation, um, which, which would be helpful, right? Okay. And you know, look, we're not the coaches, we're not the players. Um, but it's helpful to rather than say, Hey, here's the streaming and here's the live scoring for Tulsa, and here's just the live scoring for Charleston, mm-hmm. like. It's helpful to explain those sorts of things um, preemptively. Sure.
1: But with all of that said, and I suppose, you know, again, not to highlight those things, there was a lot to enjoy about the results we saw unfolding. A lot of tidbits of information leaking out from the results we saw to help us forecast what to expect over the course of the 2022 dual match season. Of course, the big takeaway, Sarah Hamner who drops two sets on her way to the title, comes all the way through qualifying to do so. And, you know, again, fascinating little section of the qualifying draw uh, that she comes out If You just look overall for Hamner, a win over Zoe Howard of Princeton, then three sets over Lisa Czar. Again, it was Czar in that match. And then in the final, those were the only two matches Hamner dropped sets. She then beats Fiona Crawley, who we'll talk about this I would say nine weeks from now, roughly, <laughs> who I think could play number one singles for UNC this uh, year. She beats her six and one. And, you know, that's a damn good victory. And then for Hamner, obviously in the main draw as she works her way through, uh, she earns victory, uh victory over Vicky Flores. She earns a victory over Makarova, the number six out of AM, a win over Arena Cantos, Ciamars, a win over Tasha Pachkaleva, and then obviously gets the withdraw from Alexa Noel, but that's a three set match. She's up five two in the third when uh the withdrawal hap or er, the retirement happens. I believe Hamner's a freshman memory serves me correctly again all the details it's early here in the season but I mean you look at the list of past ITA champions the freshmen uh, who have gone on to win this event or just you know some of the recent winners here Ashley Leahy number one in the country dominant uh, throughout both the end of that 2019 and you know she wins 2019 but was dominant at the start of the 2020 dual match season Sophie Whittle 2018 we know what she went on to do you look 2016 DiLorenzo 15 Danielle Collins 14 Anderson 13 Loeb 12 Lauren Embry it's been a hell of a run for ITA All-American champion Sarah Hamner now finds herself on that list your thoughts on this result
0: yeah it's uh it's the who's who of college tennis over the past decade um you know uh she's the first freshman to do it since jamie loeb in 2013 who went on to win the ncaa single title the following season um spring of 2015 so we can pencil hamner in i guess for next season ncaa singles victory um <laughs> But I mean, overall, just I just skipped really... Fernanda
1: Contreras, by the way, in 2017 at yeah. Vanderbilt. I feel like after slighting Astra Sharma earlier today on Twitter, that's two strikes for me against Vanderbilt. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that and I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry, go on.
0: No, it's been the who's who and also the who will be the who. Uh, right. So Contreras doing that her junior year, I believe. Um, and then Sophie Whittle, you know, uh, coming out um, from Gonzaga doing that. Um, so just a really impressive run for Hamner. I mean, you listed, um, kind of the string of victories she put together. Um, you know, she's, it's a really interesting case you mentioned the, the Crawley win that was when I was like, okay, this is serious. This is, um, this is really something here. And just to take a step back, you know, I think, you know, she's part of this class that lost their junior spring and junior summer. And so I think we're gonna see a lot of volatility in that class in terms of who emerges and and who doesn't. Um, But she in particular has really skyrocketed over the past few years. Um, You know, I mean, she moved from Colorado to Florida about five years ago um, and has just kind of really risen up the ranks. If you look at her tennis recruiting, you know, in her class, she was about 50-ish, you know, in 2018, 13 in 2019 eight in 2020 and then ultimately um, after a few people turn pro she ends up being number one in her class Um, so she's someone that hasn't been on the radar for those that have been following college tennis for that long Um, and so to come to come and do this out of college extremely impressive Um, you know she clearly her her work with michael joyce over the last 18 months has been paying off Um, and i think we'll probably get to this but the you know being on clay i think helps as well No Um, doubt about that. Overall, incredible run. 62-11 in
1: 2020 in singles matches. I don't care what level you're at. That's ridiculous. What I, I'm i trying to think. Am I 62 and 11 in my last 73 showers? I don't think so. I'd like 11 of them back. Like there are a lot of hair lost in like 20 of them that I'm like, why did you scrub so hard on the head? You can't afford to do that. And it's just like it's a ridiculous success rate. Yep. And she's a freshman. She's a yep. freshman. And you nailed that square on the head. So many of them had competitive opportunities ripped away it's tough to say what a lot of them are going to look like, particularly a year and a half later. And yeah, we had San Diego and, you know, I think we know Yipa is going to look very good for Stanford. Some of them we have seen quite a bit of, but the majority of them we have not. And so early on, and you're right, Clay Court, always grain of salt. You play a role in that. But like you could argue and Lisa Zarr went on to win her ITA regional and maybe if – hopefully if we have time, we'll do ITA regional recaps for both the men and the women. I may try and squeeze a second podcast out of you this week. Welcome to the team, my friend. Um, But you look for – again, for Hamner, the names are all – like it wasn't like, oh, she she played no one and there were a bunch of episodes here on the clay and so it was inevitable that we were going to have this sort of result. Noelle's a top 10 talent. Kanto Cimers I think, is going to be a top 10 player this year. Does everyone remember Pashkaleva, Lulu son? Does anyone have any doubt Pashkaleva who lost, what, three matches last season or something crazy like that, isn't, you know, destined to be in the mix this season, even if she's playing three or four, once again, for Pepperdine? And just, you know, again, Makarova, top six, number six seed, veteran, for AM. Even Vicky Flores, round one of the main draw, That's no joke. Like, we're going to get to our top five transfers later on in today's show. Flores is on my shortlist, and I cheated to include her on there, but she's on my shortlist. And that's a fifth year who just knows her way around a college tennis match, and the freshman worked her in straight sets. And just, again, it was match number, what, four in four days or four and five days with tsunami-like rains interrupting play and just, you know, humidity and clay and stickiness and just, you favor the fifth year over the freshman every time in those conditions. Yet, you know, match after match, Hamner was able to pull out victories. And in particular, to bagel Alexa Noel, who... You know, her ankle injury is maybe the biggest what if of last year's NCAA tournament. I don't care five two like again, she earned this. She earned this title first in program history. Any final thoughts on her performance?
0: No, I would just add you mentioned, you know, Crawley and Czar, both who just won yes. their ITA regionals. She played them in qualifying, right? And She knocks them off. Obviously, the list of, of people that you mentioned, it was the Rolodex um of who we expect to see big things from. Uh, this this season So how is she not preseason number one now
1: Right like doesn't I, she have I, to be
0: I was thinking about that I was actually Going to shoot Chris I because I don't know how Many no victories. don't give Chris that sort of Credit <laughs> yeah. I mean I, immediately I was Like this run I feel like this This solidifies it and I mean Prior to this though she was seven And one yeah. right so she already had Beaten you know people like Chloe back of Duke you know Shova of UCF um, Brown from you know uh from michigan Mm -hmm. so she'd already already gotten these like victories that would already shoot her up to into the rankings Uh, i don't see her i mean she's going to be top five for the entire season basically
1: yeah no it's she yeah this was a hell of a run again from a freshman reminiscent of as you mentioned jamie lobe and we all knew she was going to be good she was and You know, the Dalmijan-Frank ITA runs, those are the standard setters for me because it was like we knew they were going to be good entering college and then they rip off runs back-to-back in Tulsa and you're like, yep that we're rolling. Um, we are. Sorry. I, you know, the who is strong. Am I an honorary who? Have we made a determination? <laughs> like you're more of a who than I am <laughs> uh, at this point. Will um, you tell that to Pedroso, please? Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, you know, the flip side, of course, I do want to talk about Alexa Noel, who yeah. number eight seed here in this event, wins over Ditman in straights, over Zalevka in three, uh, gets a retirement victory from Georgia Drummond before the three-set win over Kaya. Tano again the ankle injury for Alexa Noel at the NCAA tournament really was uh, one of the big what ifs because you look for Noel what she was able to accomplish last season I do think she was one of the standouts across the college tennis world and obviously for the freshman to go 24 and 1 at the number one spot you know it, uh, it's ridiculous. Big Ten Freshman of the Year, you know, first All-American in program history, and I don't think it was a spicy take to say she might be the best player in the Big Ten. I think, you know, Kari Miller, Arena Kanto-Siamers are going to win, and whomever from Northwestern, probably Shubash, but uh, uh, not Shubash, excuse me. Uh, Shusharina. Uh, the second time I've done that. Sorry. I blame you. Um, but... <laughs> um, Never mind. The listeners don't know because we talked on the phone. That's what I did the same thing when we spoke on the phone to explain that to you listeners. But I mean, 24 and one speaks for itself. You look at what she was able to accomplish last season and for her to rip off a final run. All that shows is how real all of that was. And just how can you not feel good for an Iowa program? Just given everything they give it uh gone through her run, her performance, sophomore jumps. I feel like it could be, I mean, a Blumbergask season. That's a lot to ask from anyone. What he did as a sophomore for me, that jumper was like, all right, I lost once as a freshman. Now I'm going to be the best player in the country. A run like this from Noelle on clay, I mean, the signs are there, and she's going to have the chance playing the Carney Millers and Kanto Ciameres of the world, where she's beating them routinely, and it's just a sure-thing point for Iowa. I mean, again, top five, top ten all season long, very much in the cards.
0: Yeah, well, she she's done the Big Ten dominant run. Yeah, right? that was her her last season. Um, you know, uh, my you know one of my top wishes coming into the season was can we just see her healthy? Yes. Um, and this is exactly what I was hoping for, right? To be able to see her in fall competition, which the Big Ten wasn't able to do last season, um, against the best of the best. Um, it's just so good to see her back and healthy. Um, you know, I think a lot of people might forget that she was number four in the world in juniors at the start of 2020 and if not for covid we probably wouldn't be seeing her in college tennis Mm -hmm. and so to have sort of the under the radar season that she did and have it end as unfortunate as she did um you know couldn't ask for anything better for, for her sophomore season really excited to see her continue to play um you know moving forward in the fall and then also in the dual match season. Um, get some matches against non-Big Ten competition. Mm -hmm. Um, But super excited to see her back.
1: No doubt about that. And, you know, again, we've seen what Noelle was capable of as a freshman, that she's coming back for one more season. I mean, dominance is the standard now, and she delivers in her first result. Let's move big picture now, not just go semifinalist, semifinalist, but let's talk about what USC did at this tournament. I mean, it is one of the semifinalists in Aaron Cayetano, but look at this run. Straight sets over Brianna Schwetz of Princeton, first round qualifying. That's a damn good win, especially to do with three and three. And then, you know, to beat a veteran in Jada Daniel, a veteran in Makalova of Ole Miss, she then goes to the main draw, gets, you know, impressive victories right away over a veteran, Meg Kowalski, Janice Chen, who was one of the revelations of last season, to beat Campana in the follow up as well before bowing out in three to Noel. I mean, between Cayetano, we knew Selma Ewing was going to get B-good to see her beat Kelly Chen, Alana Smith, that's just confirmation of that fact. Where are you at with the Trojans? It was a surprise round of 16 performance for them last year. There are a lot of ingredients, and obviously Coach Swain, she's a winner everywhere she goes, and so is this the team is this where usc kind of gets back in that top 10 mix obviously felt like last year stanford down it was an open opportunity for anyone to make a move ucla has been very good of late but you know again it feels like it's open there's openings right now there's a little uncertainty in the pac 12 everyone's young
0: yeah couldn't agree more uh you know my my preseason take is that the usc women finish higher than the usc it's men. A great
1: that's just even if it's not true the formation of that take is just that's like the recipe a spicy b pisses off brett macy i'm in <laughs> i'm in
0: so i i mean i think usc was one of my teams of the tournament um for the reasons you talked about um outside of hamner i thought kayatana was kind of the the player of the tournament okay um not only for her, the run that she had um but kind of that element of like oh where did this come from right that kind of like captures your attention um you know this is a player who was 11 and 6 last season in dual matches playing at 1 2 and 3 um so to see this run and to see the players she beat during this run wasn't something that i thought was going to be possible um and so it, it obviously really throws USC into the mix. Um, you know, they didn't have um, Naomi Chung playing here and those were their top three um, last season. They have the, a few additions this season that um, make that middle of the lineup super spicy with Snow Han, uh, you know. They also have another Mora who seems yes. to always fly under the radar. Um, so I, I'm, I'm high on USC, particularly the fact that both um, Ewing and Cayetano did this on clay. Um, of kind of all the schools. Probably not playing a lot of clay tennis there. Um, So really good run for her, uh, Cayetano. And um, I'm bullish on on the Trojans.
1: My spicy take is that USC beats UCLA once this year, but that neither team beats Stanford. I am so in on Stanford this year. And that's like my spicy take, but the bounce back season for the Cardinal, that is... Where after this podcast, the listeners know John and I, Jay, sorry, John doesn't feel right. Jay and I are about to flesh out our top 10 teams for our top 10 contender series. And where I have Stanford is going to skew the rankings. That's going to be our biggest outlier, Mm. I think. Or maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you. Okay. Well, we'll chat about that off mic. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) I consider myself a a, a preeminent expert in the Stanford women's tennis. So I have a lot to discuss.
1: You're a Stanford skeptic in this season, this season.
0: Uh, I think that's fair. Okay. Um, this is, a, you know, it's a changing of the guard season for them. Um, there's a lots lots to unpack. Changing of uh, the guard, but Michaela's
1: still around. She popped back up, didn't she? She did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, we'll save it. We'll save it. We'll get there. We'll get there. I promise. Give that one. I think is a four to five week preview. So just give us give us some time. But no, I mean. Again, SC, fantastic result for them, no doubt about that. And, you know, they do have some momentum on that side as they did, you know, one of the surprise performances, one of the upsets of the NCAA tournament as they worked their way uh, to the round of 16. Uh, So, yeah, that's certainly an interesting team to watch. I want to flip gears here for a second because one of the most notable thing, and we'll get to Pepperdine. I'm going to use them as a segue to uh, to talk about our transfers, but one of the most notable things to me about this main draw, no North Carolina, no Texas, and those teams were the story of 2021. Obviously, Pepperdine was part of the story as well, but I mean— When was the last time? In fact, I'll look at here. Let's go to the books because the books are always a fun place to go. Here are, you know, the North Carolina results. Um, Well, I guess All-American hasn't been the place where they've thrived the most. Last time they got a champion, 2013, Jamie Loeb. She was also Alexa Graham, finalist, 2019. Those are your only finalists during that stretch. You look for them in the doubles. Carter and Kay made the finals in 2015. Carter and Annie won it in 2016. So I guess this hasn't been the place where they've dominated, but they have dominated. I mean, uh, just uh, I just mean, about every, Davatilla, Graham, yeah. Mora, uh, Scotty, uh, you name it. They've done it over the past few seasons for Texas last year, whether it was Stearns or Sun or Shavatapan, Taradi, Collins, you know, Rapaloo, you name it. They had it. None of them in the main draw I know Kylie Collins was in qualifying and you look uh, for Kylie I believe in qualifying she ends up taking the loss I want to say I don't want to be wrong here Uh, Kylie who did you play and end up losing to Marley Zane thank you yeah that's who she ended up dropping was that a three setter three setter right
0: that I don't
1: recall. Yeah. Either way, worth noting, Marley Zine, oh, yeah, during that stretch, she got wins over Kamura in the first round of qualifying. She got a win over Kampana in the second round, a win over Collins. It was three sets, seven, five, five, seven, six, four uh, in the end in qualifying. So Collins was close. You know, Mora, that's a tough loss. And I mentioned it earlier. Crawley ends up losing to the eventual champion in qualifying. Anika Yarligada did get a win as well before she was knocked out by Shiori Fukuda. I don't think any of us will call that a bad loss. Boss. but it was notable, wasn't it? I mean, I literally have notable to me that there
0: was not a Texas and UNC factor. at this. Yeah, point. So yes, it was weird.
1: It was weird. <laughs> it was
0: notable. Uh, I mean, C- Collins was the only player that Texas had, um, right. I mean, uh, so that surprising, particularly on the heels, as you said, uh, of may kind of those being the trio of teams that everyone was focused on. Um, and UNC in particular, right? You think of them as a team. If you're going to have a team that's like peppering a qualifying draw, it's like UNC's four, five, six, seven, and eight are like making runs in, in, in a qualifying draw. Um, so, yeah, o- odd to see. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure there's really much to take away from it. I mean, um, you know Collins loss, You know she yeah. gets two wins.
1: And Stearns didn't play. I don't Stearns think Chavathapan play. played. Nope. Uh, I don't yeah. think Scotty played either. Right. Scotty yeah. didn't play. Yeah. So, grain of salt. A little bit of grain of salt. I mean,
0: they all, Texas only sent one player. Kylie. Yeah. Okay. What
1: would know. you think of Duke? Uh, obviously, Drummy, I believe, ends up getting to the quarterfinals. That's a good result for her. And Drummy lost yeah. like two total matches last season. I think that top three, her, Chen, back. I mean, that's I, – I was all in on Duke last season. I also just think they're NCAA tough. Uh, I'm going to continue to be in on the Blue Devils this year. Maybe it's because I need to buy some currency with the Duke program in general, but um, I'm a fan of the—I just think—again, I just, think, I just again, that's a program that cranks out top 10 season after top 10 season, and you look at the results, Drummy— you know, wins over Fukuda, over Fenning to get to the quarterfinals. You look uh, for Chloe Beck, three-set loss for her first round uh, to Mississippi State. You don't love that, but, you know, Kelly Chen, first-round loss to Selma Ewing. Obviously, it's clay court tennis as well. I don't know. Yeah, that that's another team that just stood out to me just, again, given the players they had in the draw. How did Duke end up doing in the doubles? Let's see quickly before I to- toss this over to you. Duke in the doubles. back Barankova knocked out by hand in Crowley 8-5. Uh, I believe that was the only Duke team in the doubles. I don't know. With them, Virginia, Florida State, NC State, last year was the year of the ACC any? What did you think of the ACC? That's the question. There it is. What did you think? You know, leave it all in Westhoff. Uh, ACC's performance. ACC. Wake Forest okay. champs. Is Wake Forest the team?
0: Wake. So I, th- I had three teams from this tournament, uh, right? We had Pepperdine, which we'll get to. Uh, we had USC, and then we had Wake. Um, so of those ACC schools, I think you give the nod to Wake uh, program first for them to take home the doubles title. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's huge. Uh you had Campania making the quarterfinals. Um, so really good performance kind of overall for for Wake. Uh Duke, I am I will say I'm it was good to see Drummy get a few wins, and I'm happy that she's healthy. I was a little worried um with the 3-0. Reti- she was down, I think 3-0 and then retired. Um, so she, you know, had some nice results at the uh the regional. So happy to see her healthy. Um, but other than that, um Duke. That was my takeaway <laughs> i'm glad drummy is healthy i think there's uh more to be seen from them mm-hmm. um but not a huge acc contingent um in terms of like success at this tournament i would say um, alana smith should absolutely get a shout out um that was one that uh intrigued me you know she made it through qualifying and then fell to salma ewing in the round of 16. um so that's kind of the overarching takeaway in the acc not not a big showing from the ACC
1: yeah I'm pretty sure there's only five players on the Florida State roster right now <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah it's it's weird
1: <laughs> which is so fascinating because again last year I thought in particular I mean I thought coach Hyde had him rolling like I really liked last year's Florida State team and honestly I agree I thought Smith and Daniel were fine I thought Shelley was fine like I I do think NC State I mean last year everything broke right for them at the NCAA tournament and just the veteran experience they had. That's been a team from the start of 2020 through the end of the 2021 season, start of 2020 dual match season, you know, again, for 18 months, they were a top five team in college tennis and that sort of manifested itself. And I think there, there's going to be some coast off of that. Just the experience, the confidence you gain, the veterans, they have coming back. I think they're still going to be rock solid, but like no Jones and Flores for Georgia tech and, whatever's going on at florida state duke virginia i think are still going to be very very good virginia's fast virginia was the interesting one and i know no subash or did subash play this she might i don't think she did and navarro obviously didn't either i mean that team when you have that top two you feel like you're up 2-0 in every match you play um it's interesting Again, again who's your team right now is it still north carolina and then a gap in everyone else
0: well it's not a gap in everyone else right it's it's unc and then you have uva and duke and then everyone else okay, whereas sure. last season it was unc and everyone else because you had all those teams you everyone mentioned else beating literally. each other yeah. every other week um which was crazy and it made for a crazy acc tournament um and some deep runs um so yeah, this year feels like the tiers are a little bit more defined. Uh, at least those t- those top two tiers.
1: Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. And then again, a couple of people we have to give a shout out to Vicky Hu of Princeton. And it's great to have Ivy League tennis back uh, yep. across the board. She makes uh, a good run. Obviously, you have her. You have Schwets. You have the start of a fantastic foundation. If you're Princeton, you look uh, at the doubles results we saw. Yes, shout out. To the Wake Forest duo of Brylin and Killingsworth as they offer er, earn the first title in program history. Shout out to, I want to say, Sassanuskaya. I think I got that one right. And Stara Dubseva. I feel pretty good about that too. Of Old Dominion. You always love a non-Power 5 run to the final. Old Dominion becoming the first non-Power. Well, excluding Pepperdine. And excluding the duo of Gong and Martinelli. I mean, they did it literally in 2019. Non-Power 5 teams. Here we go. Just the non-Power 5 teams to make runs to a final even in doubles uh, in the past since 2000. We've got Gong and Martinelli over at Yale You've got Stephanie and I'm not even going to play Rungler, you know, over at Pepperdine uh, 2016. You've got the duo, let's see, who else did it, uh, of Fresno State. You had kusarkova and Petukova over there. You had Sains and Winterhalter of Fresno State as well. Uh, that was back in 2005. That's it. And then, you know, there's a William and Mary run in '91. Everyone else is a power five. So again, shout out to uh, the Old Dominion duo for making a run to the final. I will say Tran and Sanford quarterfinals doubles. Got to feel good if you're North Carolina there. Makarova, Goldsmith, AM run. Chen Flores run for Pepperdine. That feels good. Daniel Smith run. You got to feel good at that. Uh, but with that in mind... Let's talk about the waves, and this is how we can get into our transfers as well. Obviously, Janice Chen, Vicky Flores, those are two transfers. Chen, semi-finalist last year for Oregon. She transfers over to Pepperdine. She may play the number one singles position. And, of course, Vicky Flores was part of the heart of that Georgia Tech lineup. She could play, you know, it was number two, so super successful. Her and Kenya Jones, a top five doubles team in the country. Vicky Flores has played big matches in her career. Uh, They make a run all the way to the semifinals of this event. You look uh, for Lisa Czar. Again, the three-set loss to her, to the eventual champion, but she ends up winning the regional. Patch Galeva ends up making, I believe, semifinals uh, in singles. She ends up getting wins, you look, throughout the course of the tournament, I believe. Let's see, for Tasha Pachkaleva, uh, she earns victories over Ovunk uh, of Auburn. She then beats Abby Forbes in straights, gets the win over Selma Ewing before getting knocked out by Sarah Hamner. Of course, you look in the consolation. Vicky Flores gets a win over Leah Ma. She then gets a win over Chloe Beck, Julia Adams before getting knocked out by Vicky Who You look for Fakuda wins over Ayana Ackley. The transfer to South Carolina, she then beats Dittman uh, before getting knocked out in three by Vicky who my question to you John has the loss of a number one and two singles player ever meant less to a team than it does to Pepperdine I was texting with someone earlier and I was like I really don't think losing Leahy and Fela matters like of course it matters but does it matter when you bring in Flores when you bring in Chen when you have all of this talent returning plus you bring in Savannah Brodus on top of it as well Pepperdine's f- stacked. Like, they're number one. They're the people. Like, all due respect to Texas, which is crazy to say because Texas brings back its nucleus. But, like, this Pepperdine team is an all-star team. It's ridiculous. It,
0: no, the answer is no. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and respectfully, uh, with, you know, Leahy's incredible collegiate career, she wasn't at her best in their run in May. Um, she didn't put a point on the board for Pepperdine, and so you bring in you know the duo of Chen and, and Flores, and in some ways one could argue they're they're upgrading, which is wild. Um, Here's the and, thing: Fela was that good for Pepperdine down the home stretch. A hundred percent, she was. Um, but to you know, I mean, you, you look at these tournaments, and to kind of concede. You know, the, the, a point at one is is tough to do. It just it just told me how good the Pepperdine core was, right? Like that two through five uh, was just incredible, and uh, major all of those players except except for Fela stay, and they bring in Flores and Chen, um, and freshmen who who kind of up level the whole lineup. So. Uh, it, it's wild, and it's it's funny, you know, doing the prep for this tournament. And while they didn't have anyone in in the finals, you can't find a, a story arc through this All American tournament without it passing through Pepperdine,
1: yeah.
0: right? At every stage, it's like, you know, who was it? It was someone had beaten, you know, a Hamner. She had to beat three pe- players from Pepperdine uh, to 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 get through her run, or something crazy like that. So. They're damn good, um, and to do it on clay too. I'm like some of these players probably haven't played on clay in a very long time. So really impressive showing from them, and just show that they're continuing the momentum from last May.
1: Pashkaleva 26 and two overall on the season, 12 and two at three singles. Shiori Fakuda, 19 and five overall in the season, 10 and one at four singles. Lisa Zar, 22 and two on the season, 12 and two at five singles. You can make a legitimate case to play all of them in the same spots, one year more experienced against one year's worse competition. Because again, you know, you're not playing... It's uh, Shavatapan at four, Collins at five this year. They move up in the lineup for Pepperdine, or it's Vicky Flores at five, yeah, or right. it's you know Fakuda down at five. If Czar's made a jump, if Patch Kaleva's made a jump, if Janice Chen's not at one singles, she's not losing a match this season. It's just like once again. Even if they suck at doubles, which, you know, (laughs) Pear doesn't know how to coach doubles, so it's very possible that they do. Uh, Now, Pete's an excellent coach. Pete's the mind behind the program. Everyone knows that. But, uh, of course, I'm joking around. Uh, Both exceptional coaches. It's just like they've got it. And we haven't even talked about Imachkine, who's ridiculously talented. And it's just like... Vicky Flores also, perhaps even more than what she does in their singles lineup, it's to get her in doubles. Like you have a player who will walk onto the court and say, "No, no, no, no we're winning at one." They're like I don't care. Let's say Leahy is replaced by Flores, and now it's Flores and Zara at one. Even if they're the placeholder, it's just like, "No, no, no, no Lisa, remember what? A- yeah, we're it, we're doing that again, but we're winning too. Like we're gonna we're gonna keep winning. Does that work? And it's like everyone's a year better, right. and so." Even with Cerns and Shavatapan and Ropalu and you know Collins and uh, Zabra, uh, um, Z- I'm missing I'm, I'm blanking on the name here Zamaripa. yeah and- uh, no, no no all of them and uh, Le- no no, Le- no Lebron oh Lebron well
0: they have the the freshman twins as well
1: yeah uh, yeah exactly as good as that is Pepperdine's number one and just like the depth of their results at the All American to me confirmed that 100 yep. percent agree yeah so with that in mind then. Let's talk—I mean, any other results? Any other outliers? Did we miss anything? I know you've got notes, which, by the way, Chris and Matt have not— Well, Chris might have done it because he's old and it's tough. Matt's never had to do it, and so I understand why he doesn't do it. But, you know, I know you've got the notes listed. I don't want to—again, I appreciate You've actually brought statistics into the conversation, something they never do. So hit me with what else you've got.
0: Well, I mean, you covered so much of it. Um, I think the only thing that I wanted to maybe— close with is you know the this came up on the men's pod of kind of seven of the top 10 not being there uh on the women's side it was four uh so it it felt i try and
1: guess the four because i'm off the top of my head i want to see if i can get them okay navarro and Stearns are the obvious ones right yeah they weren't there okay oh man Alex, this is, come on, you're back. I'm just, this is how I prepare, is I need to be put in high-pressure situations where I'm forced to perform uh, to the best of my ability. Otherwise, what are we doing here? So Pepperdine beat North Carolina. Who did Texas beat in the semifinals? They killed everyone. That's the thing. It's just like so hard to remember who was in the path. I mean, I remember they beat Ohio State first. That match was actually kind of good, but CMRs, you know, contest CMRs was there. Who'd they beat in the semis, though? That's what I can't remember. Ugh.
0: Wait, I'm talking about the f- there's yeah four... top four
1: ten individuals. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, no, no you, But I'm trying to think. Up. No, but I'm trying to think who they beat in the semifinals because who played number one singles for that team? Oh, okay. And see, that's okay. That's um, how the brain works. I Yeah, see. exactly. Well, Jokic has graduated. davitella is gone. Graham's gone. Moore was there. Scotty's not top ten. Chen was there. Noel was there oh man what other Perez and Reba graduated is Gordon top 10 no there's no way (laughs) don't roll your eyes at me like that (laughs) I guess Um, oh man all right SEC is it SEC am I missing some SEC people so you're
0: missing two right one is SEC one is ACC
1: okay that was helpful okay SEC let me think Florida no Georgia Florida who wasn't there for Florida who am I missing not Kessler yeah guess is, she, so. is she top 10 yeah yeah she should be with her pro she's, results okay that's one um sorry she's ranked
0: She's ranked higher than sterns she's number four
1: yeah i believe it i mean yeah. didn't she just make a final the 20 i mean just but a couple weeks ago
0: yeah no she's had some great fall results i think that's actually why she she missed this tournament yeah not uh, that the fall results impact your college ranking that's it's, a different
1: conversation yeah but, so that's one yep I mean, I already said Navarro. Who's the other ACC player missing? Uh, is it she, an obvious name, or are you, you going to be like, you should know this?
0: Well, she didn't play one for her school. I'll give you that.
1: Ooh. Ooh.
0: Ooh. And we've mentioned her on the pod.
1: <sighs> she didn't play one for a school. It's not Scotty. I refuse to accept that as an. Oh, Suba Natasha. that was stupid yeah you're right that that was an obvious one i'm when i said navarro in my head i think i checked natasha off the list as well there true i mean but that said we did get to see a lot of the we didn't see any stanford either did we
0: Nope. Uh, Stanford's first fall tournament has been the um, kind yeah. of the dominance that they've been showing at the the regional this weekend.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so that was noticeable as well. But otherwise, again, it was a fascinating ITA All American. Uh, certainly, we hope the next time they do it at clay, we'll be able to see it. With all that said, we're going to rapid fire here down the home stretch. I promise you thirty to forty minutes, and we still have some stuff we have to do off mic tonight. But I do want to go through the top five transfers because obviously given COVID-19 five classes of players still in college tennis it's a busy off season as it always seems to be uh, across the board uh, now in men's and women's college tennis we have free agency and that's half the fun and you know as such there are a lot of enjoyable names for us to discuss players who will make impacts immediately upon joining their schools the place i think we have to start is the transfers that went to Pepperdine again we've made the case so we can just do it quickly Janice Chen won, Vicky Flores. I'm gonna just going to combine them and put that at the number one spot. It makes losing Leahy and Fela. I never want to say okay, but okay. It's like, no, we're fine. And we have Brodus, and we have everyone else. We're good. Like, we're back. We did not get worse, which is always the thing you got to prevent in the offseason. That's your most impactful transfers. And I know that's cheating to put them both at one, but I like to cheat so we can mention more names. Like, that's got to be number one, right? By any metric
0: hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, uh, of players that I'm most intrigued by this entire season, right? Janice Chen is number one uh, based on what we saw last season. So that was maybe our, to me, the first ever like bombshell transfer on the women's side uh, that just made you're wrong
1: the player to watch is julia fliegner because she's Crack rackets family it's just like come on we have presley on the men we have julia for the women
0: she's mentioned on my list i oh i saw okay (laughs)
1: yeah i saw the name i was excited uh but no uh okay so that's one now it's open season now it really is pick your flavor
0: can i do one deep cut on vicky flores though please I believe your first NCAA attendance was 2018
1: Correct. Wake Forest. I'm biased because I saw the UCLA match.
0: But were you there for the Pepper of the Georgia Tech Pepperdine match?
1: The that's, I literally drove so 13-hour drive. I drive up under the lights, it starts to rain. Pepperdine versus Georgia Tech and they go indoors. And that is literally the very first NCAA match I attended. Okay,
0: because it, it, it's so ironic to me that I, Vicky Flores clinched that match yeah, against it was, Pepperdine. It was the best. And, and it, that she was a freshman that year. And fast forward, and of all schools that she transfers to, and I know that loss on the Pepperdine side was a heartbreaker. Because that so, team
1: was so good.
0: I mean, you mentioned there were four players in the top 100 then, right now. Meyer Sharif was at three.
1: I know, Leahy Sharif. Uh, Stefani was on Stefani. that team. Yeah,
0: that was their top three. Oh,
1: that's ridiculous!
0: Team. So I, I know that was a heartbreaker. So uh, it, it, that came to mind when I saw her transferring to Pepperdine it was uh, it was very it was very interesting and uh, kind of a cool
1: bookend story there. I like that. So again, that's one. Give me your list. Who's two?
0: So two is Ayanna Ockley of South Carolina.
1: I didn't cheat, but I agree. I think she has to be number two. Make the case.
0: Well, I mean, look, she had a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal two seasons at Maryland, uh, despite the school, you know, really struggling. Um, you know, she was a, a top player. She knocked off Fiona Crawley uh, at the NCAA's in the first round. Um, I mean, she's someone that is is going to be an impact player for the Gamecocks, and I would say her, the 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 you know how large of a transfer she is, uh, is only buoyed by Sarah Hamner's success, right? To have those as your top two, um, you know, that's that's up there with all the other schools. Um, so, I mean, she's consistently been ranked kind of in the top 30. Um, you know, she will have a, a big impact within the SEC.
1: And you look for Georgia at the top of the SEC. It's not going to be the teams it's been the past two years. Jokic is gone. Gonzalez is gone. christofi has gone. And, yeah, they still have a ton of talent returning to the roster. You get, you know, Liam Ma back. You get Meg Kowalski back. You get Kopik back. You bring in a ton of top talent as well. But there's an opening, right? Feels like Florida could be pretty good this season, and that could be the sneaky team. But South Carolina's on that short list, and like, you know, again, turmoil with LSU. You don't really know what that program's going to look like. And I just, I know, it's, I, I agree. I think South Carolina's really interesting, and that's why she's number two on my list as well. Because if her Hamner make them competitive with the, you know, give them shots to sweep put spots at the top of the lineup. Yep. There's just a lot of uncertainty four through six for almost every SEC school. So I like them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the pick for number two. We yep. agree on that. Give me your three because I think this is where we're going to disagree.
0: So speaking of Florida, um, I have Lainey um, who's at Oklahoma now. So she's my number three.
1: So she's five on my list, but I like that one. Okay. Make the case.
0: So, interestingly, uh, we did not see much of her last season. Um, you know, she reached, I believe, top 40 in the ITF, you know, junior rankings. Um, and then she, 2020 was her first season at Florida. Um, I think she she only played in a handful of matches, but didn't really lose. And then was kind of in and out of the lineup, um, you know, this past season playing number four. Um, but then fast forward to this summer. And, you know, she has some really good wins. I mean, she beats Jokic, I think, in Jokic's first professional match as a professional um, in in Sumter. Um, She had a good run at one of the uh, Canadian Masters tournaments, or at least she had a good loss um, there. So, I mean, she's she's had some good wins. Um, And so Oklahoma is a team to watch, and this, I think, fills – a lot of potential gaps that they had. Um, and so it's, it's an intriguing one for me because when we look at most impactful transfers or top transfers, it's not always about the best players, right? It's about who fills the holes and, and what teams they are joining. And this is one that, that hits that, that mark.
1: So with that in mind, my number three, Abrams and Nayar, who it's just essential for the two of them to click. If NC State is going to maintain their spot at the top of the uh, ACC, excuse me, and for Abrams coming over from Memphis, Nayar coming over from Colorado, I want to say Nayar was top 100, I want to say, in the rankings last year at some point, right? I I believe so. I think
0: they they both might be top 100 now, actually. Yeah,
1: and so, again— I don't think you can replace Rodgers and Smith as well as they replaced Leahy uh, and Fela over at uh, – not Rodgers and Smith. Sorry, Rodgers and Riemi. Riemi, uh, Riemi. Uh, but you have to replace the number one doubles duo obviously of Rodgers yeah. and Smith and what then to lose Daniels and Riemi at number two, which has been everything uh, for that team. Abr- if Abrams and are step up. Fourth place in the IECC is up for grabs because I'm not sure they're quite on the level with Duke UVA and North Carolina this season, but they can absolutely earn individual wins over those teams, especially if the you know again Abrams and I have been around the block and so this is still an experienced team and experience matters confidence matters and if if one of them click, they're top 15. If they both click, there's a path to the top 10. And that's why I think they're number three in terms of impact because, you know, depth is where the money is made. And they're probably, you know, Smith and Daniel, I think, are going to be at the top of the lineup. Everything after that, I feel, is up for grabs for NC State. And if one of them can slide into three and the other solidifies a five, a six, now you're looking at your, you know, match calculus wise, not a four point team, but two with how good they are at doubles, maybe three. And when you're a three point team, you can hang. I think that's a
0: great take. Um, they they weren't <laughs> on my list. Um, I cheated
1: with two names for three, so you know, double the power.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I was uh, I was a little disappointed by some of their early results in the summer and the sure. fall. That um, didn't quite tell me that they were ready to, to slot in at that at that two at that two or three spot where we kind of need someone to play because then you have a top three of um, Smith, Daniel, and someone else, mm-hmm. uh, and then you can keep Rinchali uh, at four. Uh, so. We'll see, but I think you're right. I think that, um, that they have two shots at it, right? And if they get one, they'll be they'll be good. If they get two, they'll be really good. So um, that's a good call.
1: What about Branstein to Texas a and Does she play a match? <laughs> <laughs> you don't um, have to answer that. Don't worry, that wasn't a serious question. From there, you know, I just got to throw them in. I mean, if you want to answer it, you can. You look like you might answer I, it. I will say...
0: Texas A&M, I am very bullish on. They're good. I think they're going to be really good. You talked I liked the them SEC. last year. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't need her. Um, and we will see what happens in January.
1: I'm an A&M fan. I agree yeah. with you. They, they, if you're given spicy takes, it's they're going to win the SEC. I think that's the spicy take uh, for that section. By the way, they're in my top 10. I can tell you that right now. Um, yeah so I'm, i don't even think it's that spicy ooh. all right we'll get into yeah. that we'll get into that <laughs> yeah. don't worry but of course again rounding out my list Sleeth yep. is fourth i mean fifth i have already stolen a bunch of names i don't know there's a bunch of people you could put in in that conversation for the spit fifth spot i win amaru you know again it's tough i uh, give me your uh, who rounds out your list so uh,
0: if, if we were looking for like holes to fill and we talked about the, um, you know, Janice Chan being the bombshell, the biggest question mark I have ever seen uh, was um Chawat mm-hmm. going from Oklahoma State to San Diego State. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is a player that has been perennially in the top 25. I mean, she had just made all uh, American status at NCAAs really good player um she would have been any school would have loved to have her mm-hmm. so to go to a non-power five school and i know she has some personal connections there um total head scratcher for me mm-hmm. um so uh, she's on the list because and it's good to see her still you know she's still playing these tournaments she was at all americans um but that was a, that was a, a really big surprise for me And obviously helps the San Diego State program. No,
1: no doubt about that. That is from an impact. I mean, yeah, I think that's a good point from an impact standpoint, getting a player of her quality. Undoubtedly, it it helps a program like San Diego State. But again, those are our top five transfers. And that's our sneak peek into some of the content you can expect from John moving forward. Now, most of you listeners are used to hearing Chris, Matt, and I discuss the biggest men's results from the week each and every season, uh, each and every week throughout the uh, 20-dual match season. Going to be talking about the women with John, and we're going to try to do it every week. I don't know your schedule yet. I will always be there for you should you be ready to talk about the action. So hopefully, we'll be able to get you on as frequently as possible. But more pressing, you're going to help me break down the top 10 contenders entering the 2022 season on the women's side. We're going to do much like we do with the men. We'll restart from 10, work our way down to 1, try to interview the coaches of those top 10 teams. You're going to be writing. About each of them for our website crackrackets.com. Super excited for that. Obviously, any outlier topics, any thoughts you have, I say it to you all the time no ad, no problem. I was like, how is that not crackrackets content? So, anytime, any thoughts you have, welcome to throw them under the crackrackets banner. And again, John, I don't say I butter you up at the start, at the end, you knew it was coming, but. You're the sort of person who helps make the college tennis community a community to have people like you who care so deeply about each and every aspect of the sport, even when it's, you know, getting into verbal fistfights about not having available regional links and who plays for who on the draws. That's what makes you so important to college tennis because if we don't care about those things, They're never going to get better and you know again it's about pressing to make college tennis the best possible product that's what we strive to do here at cracked rackets that's clearly what you strive to do as well we're so thrilled to have you on the team my friend
0: it's great to be on the team um i can i will take full credit for this weekend's draws having um up-to-date player names and schools you can actually (laughs) thank me uh for for doing that um but no it's great to be here it's great to chat with you uh, super excited, um, to also cover, cover the women. Uh, you know, I think that's been an area that I'm super passionate about. Um, excited for cracked rackets to cover it, um, throughout the year, uh, really exciting stuff coming. So looking forward to it. And you,
1: they don't know this yet and they won't listen to this podcast cause they get enough of my voice, but I'm going to have you come on at least one of our men's podcasts and just surprise Matt and Chris and just be like, what's happening um and just like wait what jay is like they'd be like is that you jay and you are like, "Yeah." can so you're going to obviously be joining us to talk about the men as well because i know you have just as many thoughts on them um thanks yeah exactly and by the way i will get you in on the intro outro from the beginning but because you're a new podcast member there were just things i had to say at the start so we can wrap this show here now john parsons welcome to the show welcome to our crack rackets family thank you so much for joining me today thanks Greskin. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with newest Crack Rackets contributor John Parsons. Cannot emphasize enough how excited I am to be having the opportunity to record with him every week to expand our coverage to both the men's and the women's college tennis universe. There's just so much exceptional college tennis that happens each and every week. It's damn near impossible to cover it all without some help from our friends. And, you know, obviously. Matt, Chris will always have a special place in my heart, but I can tell one episode in, it's going to be a fun season, chatting college tennis with John each and every week. And of course, he will be helping me preview our top 10 women's teams heading into the 2022 dual match season. We flushed out our preseason top 10 rankings last night. It was a difficult process, and I look forward to debating those rankings where they ended up with John throughout the course of our 10-week preview. But again, we are so excited to have him as a member of our team, a thank Thank you to him for joining us. A thank you to him, as always, for taking the time to chat. With that in mind, you hear me say it. College tennis preview content starts next week. We're going to do women every Tuesday, men every Thursday, Countdown our top 10 teams heading into the 2022 college tennis dual match season. You're going to hear, obviously, Matt, Chris, and I uh, discuss the men's team. John and I discuss the women's team. We're going to try and get interviews with each of those head coaches as well as we always do to ensure that you listeners have all the information you need for what should be an exciting parody film. 2022 college tennis season of course you missed any of the conversations we've had, we were so fortunate to get to chat with so many players, coaches throughout the course of the offseason, Ben Shelton, Cannon Kingsley, Kwesi Kenyatta, Hunter Heck, Isabel Boulay, all joining us through Cole Gromley, Jacob Brum, through our Project Elite program. We talked with countless coaches such as Howie Endelman, Michael Woodson, the list, uh, Clancy Shields, the list can go on and on and on. You can find all of those conversations over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed or on our website, crackedrackets.com, of course like rate subscribe review to this podcast that cracked interviews podcast the mini break podcast our crack rackets youtube channel and all the content we are producing here at cr if you need the more immediate updates excuse me twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at crack rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod a shout out as always to our super producers max fligner and daniel west for the f- of an editing job they do day in day out with all of that said for our brand new Crack Rackets contributor, John Parsons, our super producers, Fliegner and Westhoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.